Well, good morning again, and uh, it's great to see everybody on this beautiful day. Um, I got to tell you, I am really tired today because I decided to have a relaxing day of going to Chicago yesterday with four daughters and a wife, and I thought that would be like really smooth and relaxing, and uh, we had fun. We got back late last night, and uh, man, I was waking up this morning, and Sherry's like, you got to wake up, you got to wake up, and I was like, what day is it? She goes, it's Sunday. And I was like, who am I? She goes, you're Pastor Josh. All right, okay. So anyways, but we're already off to a great start this weekend, and and I'm sure you are too. And happy Memorial Day, man. I I do want to take a moment and just say happy Memorial Day and how much I appreciate the sacrifices uh, that have been made for our country so that we could be here in freedom. and What a great thing. And you know what this, this holiday reminds us of and what it should remind us of as believers is that we live in a fallen world. And what that means is, is that individuals and nations are in sin. And in order for a nation to be safe within its borders, sacrifice is always necessary. Did you know that? You cannot be safe without sacrifice. Because that's the kind of world we live in. And I'm grateful for those who gave their life so that we can be safe. But you know what? It also is a reminder of an even deeper reality. That in this world, we cannot be safe with God without sacrifice, right? So it's a reminder of Jesus as well. Giving his life for us. Making a sacrifice so we can be right with God. So as believers, we appreciate this uh, holiday perhaps even doubly as much. And so um, anyways... So happy Memorial Day. I hope you're doing good. I always watch like Saving Private Ryan. Although I will tell you, a cool documentary is going to start tomorrow night on the History Channel. Have you heard of this? The World Wars. Have you heard of this? How many of y'all have heard it? You have to watch it. It's about Winston Churchill. Watch it. (laughs) DVR it. Watch it. Flip between the Oklahoma City Thunder game and that. All right. Happy Memorial Day. We are in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, the topic today for us is boldness, boldness for God, courage for God. And Acts chapter 4, where we left off last week, is all about boldness, boldness for God. You have to ask yourself questions, kind of a difficult question. Are you bold for God? Um, Do you know where to go to get the resources to be bold for God? And how important boldness is. Let me, get, let me read to you a few verses that are the key verses in this chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4, that point to this topic and this theme of boldness. First of all, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness is a sign that you've been with Jesus, is what that is. And then go to verse 29, verse 29, skipping down, and this is the prayer of the church. The church is praying for boldness, and it says there in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats... And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So when we're talking about boldness, we're talking boldness for God. We're talking about speaking words, um, representing in words God. Are we bold for God? And then finally, a key verse, awesome verse, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken... 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. With boldness. So the whole chapter 4, you can see this theme throughout it, is all about boldness. And let me tell you something. This is such a critical, critical topic for us to talk about. This is a critical thing as believers, especially in the 21st century, to really be zeroed in on. Am I a bold person? And how can I grow in boldness and courage for God? How can I grow in this ability to be bold for God? And let me give you two reasons why this is so critical. Number one, because if you are a believer in Jesus, that he died for you and defeated death, God will bring you opportunities to speak for him. He will. It's not like maybe he might, or I hope he brings me an opportunity to speak for him. No, no, no. God is going to bring you opportunities to speak for God. And those moments, those opportunities to speak for God, that's the very moment when if you're not bold, you won't speak for him. If you are, you will. You see that? There's always opportunities. Sherry, uh, my wife Sherry, she works at uh, high school a couple days a week doing some bookkeeping. And, of course, she's just so sweet. Everybody say sweet. She is the sweetest thing in the world. Sherry Baby is awesome. And she's just the nicest person. And the high school kids were doing a video-like assignment, right? And their video assignment was to go around and talk to teachers and staff and to interview them and to ask them one question. And so they came up to her and they said, Mrs. Ketteridge, Mrs. Ketteridge, you're so sweet. Because everybody knows she's sweet. And and they said, you're so sweet. Will you uh, do an interview for us on camera? And and she said, well, of course, because I'm sweet and I'm always nice. And so they asked her the question that they've been asking everybody. And here's, now watch this, watch this opportunity. The question was this, can a person be redeemed by one single act? Is that a home run? That's like pitch it slower. I mean, like, let me just hit this out of the way. Like, can a person be redeemed by one act of love? And Sherry was like, yes, they can. And told him about Jesus on the video, right? And so some kid is going to see sweet Sherry talking about Jesus, and they're going to get saved because she was bold for God in that moment. But now listen, God's going to bring you opportunities. Now, I can't promise that the opportunities are going to be that easy. Amen? But are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? There's opportunities. Second reason why boldness is so important is because of opposition. We are promised that as believers, as believers in Jesus as the way to God, as, as believers in the message of Jesus, we are promised that we will be opposed. Jesus and all of his followers will be opposed in this world. And Jesus told us to look for it. And to rejoice in the opposition. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, some verses I hang on to on this very point. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 10 and following, Jesus said this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Apostle Paul said similarly. He said in, in um, uh, let's see, I want to say, second, oh, yep, second, Tim, second Timothy 
chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted, not it could happen. Like, if you believe in Jesus and you start walking with him, you will be opposed because of your faith. And when that takes you by surprise... Well, then you're not bold. You start losing boldness. But when you're not surprised by it, when you realize there's going to be opposition, you're ready for it, and you're ready to be bold. Opportunities and opposition. Opportunities and opposition. So we really want to grow in our boldness as Christians. And let me just give you, let me just say, beloved, we live in a post-Christian world. Did you know that? Our world is not Christian. Our culture is not Christian. There used to be even like a residue of like a Judeo-Christian ethic in our, in our country. It's gone. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you're going against every value, every idea about God and spirituality that you possibly can. And the only way we can survive, and we ask ourselves, how did they survive? How did they make it? And how can we make it today? Listen, it's not the only answer, but one of the answers is to be bold for Jesus and to speak, but to speak in the right way. So how can we do that? We go back to Acts chapter 4 with that probing question. It is a probing one. And we go to Acts chapter 4, and we start in verse 1. Let me give you the context of this great chapter on boldness. First of all, we get a lot of first in the book of Acts. We get the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. We get the first healing of the church in Acts chapter 3. And then we get the first persecution of the gospel in Acts chapter 4. Up to this point in time, man, it's been beautiful. Everybody's gotten saved, 3,000 people, baptisms, there's life groups, there's people, the church is together, everybody's glad, they're sharing food, they're eating food, they're sharing life, they're preaching, people are getting healed, people are gathering together to celebrate with the crippled dude that's no longer crippled. So everything is really good, and don't you know that when everything starts going really good for you and God, don't you know the bad guys are about to show up? Can I get an amen? You're going to be opposed. Everybody repeat after me. I am a believer who will be opposed. It's going to happen. You're going to be opposed. And, And that's what happens to this early church. So the first persecution happens. And let me read this passage starting in verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees came upon them. In the Greek, it literally means that they descended upon them. They interrupted them. Peter had a three-hour sermon prepared. Can I get an amen? And he's preaching. And he's going. He's waxing eloquent. And the guy's leaping and praising God. And a crippled guy. And they're all gathered together. He said, Jesus is the reason why this guy's crippled. And Peter's going to preach for a long time. He's going to keep going. And the Sadducees, and see, religious people hate long sermons. They hate them. Oh, amen. <laughs> so they descended upon him and grabbed him. Verse 2. And they're greatly annoyed. The Sadducees are greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. Not only were they interrupted, but they're being intimidated, thrown into jail for an overnight thinking process. 
verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word, they heard the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They heard the word, they believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now we ask ourselves a very important question. It's very simple. Peter, I know I bring this up every week, but Peter, only a couple months before, he was denying Jesus. He wasn't courageous for God. He was cowardly. He wasn't bold. He was the very opposite of bold. In fact, not only did he deny Jesus three times, he cursed while he was denying Jesus three times. That's horrible. He's like, beep, I don't know him. Beep, I don't know him. Beep, I don't know him. Like rated R, like I will not let my children read that part of the Bible, right? Now, he's getting arrested. What he's about to do is make this great, bold stand for Jesus. And we ask, how did he go from being cowardly to being courageous for God? The first reason is is right here in these opening verses. The first reason is the word or the message The reason why Peter and John are so bold is because of the message. And the message is found in verse 2. It says that they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you got to look at that verse in slow motion. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So not only are they saying that Jesus has risen, and that gives them boldness for sure, but what really gives them boldness is the implication of the resurrection of Jesus. And the implication of the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus has defeated the realm of death, and all who believe in him will likewise be raised in Christ. Do you see that? Jesus had said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. So they were proclaiming a message of resurrection, and that's getting the people fired up, and that's why Peter's fired up. Because, listen, Peter and John know that life is not about this world. Peter and John know that life is ultimately not about the life we live now, but the life we're going to live in the kingdom when we're raised from the dead. And Jesus is the first fruits of all who believe. And when we believe in Jesus, then the promise is is that when he comes back, if we're alive, we will meet him in the air and come down and we will rule and reign with him in his kingdom. Or if we're dead in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when he comes back, our spirit will get a new resurrected body and we will live with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And that is a critical critical point of the Christian message. I have to talk about this every week because he keeps ringing it up every week. You're like, I'm a little sick of that whole thing where Josh talks about, isn't it going to be great living with Jesus in the kingdom? He does that every week. That's because Peter's doing it every week. That is the message. The message that this world is passing away. The message is that this life is very short, especially in comparison to eternity. The message is, is that despite all the pain and the suffering and the loss and the death and the sadness and all the things we lose and all, all the betrayal and how people let us down all the time and we got enemies and we're persecuted and we let ourselves down and, 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 and our wives let us down, unless you're married to the sweet Sherry, baby, and... Everybody's letting the world let us down. You know, this world is so sad, isn't it? And everybody's sad. I was down there in Chicago walking up and down Michigan Avenue yesterday. 
all those people, they're hipsters, you know, they look so cool, and they're going to those cool shops, and they got their cool shoes on, and they got their cool shades on, and they're walking around, and then there's limos driving by, and, and then there's all this fancy people, and they're all going down, and, and they're spending their money, and if they don't have money, they're spending money on a credit card that they don't have money for, you know what I mean? And you know what? Underneath all of that facade is the sadness of this passing life. And everybody's looking for eternity. God has placed eternity in everybody's heart. And Peter found it when Jesus came and said, Peter, I forgive you for denying me. Now feed my sheep. I love you, Peter. And I'm coming back. But between the time of me leaving and me coming back, your job is to feed the sheep and to be my witness and to spread the word. And when I come back, I'm going to get you and everybody. Who believes, and we're going to live forever and ever. And all the sad things that you've experienced, all the abuse, all of the failure, all of it, I will reverse in my resurrection. You see, it's a message. That's what gives him boldness. When you believe in the resurrection message of living with God in hope, when you have hope, when you have future assurance, that increases your boldness. And you want other people to have it because you know that the reason why you have it is because you've been forgiven. You have experienced grace. God has come into your life and he has loved you. He's not asked you, what are you doing? What are you going to do for me? How good are you going to perform? What God is asking you is, do you know that I love you? Do you know that I gave you my own one and only son? Do you know that I know what suffering is? Do you know I know what evil is? Do you know I know what it's like to be rejected? I know all about life because I came in the flesh and I died on the cross and I will take you to a place where all of that stuff will be deconstructed. I will take you to a place where I will reverse all of those sad things that bow you down with sadness. I will undo it all. Peter knew it. And that's what he was telling these people that were listening. This message of the resurrection gives boldness to those who really believe and that's why we don't believe in some legend. It's not like, you know, I was watching, well, I wasn't watching. I had to listen to Brave, the Pixar. How many of y'all know Brave? All parents know Brave. I had to listen to it all the way back from Chicago, right? And it's all like the whole message of that Pixar movie is uh, there are lessons in legends, right? All legends have lessons. Dude, this is not a legend. Jesus was dead, he physically rose again, and all who believe in him will physically rise again. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh my goodness. And we will live with a new body with Jesus. Peter's on that message. And that word, that word of the coming kingdom of Jesus is what is so powerful who believe. But beloved, that message is absolutely anathema to those who don't believe. They hate it. And you see the real bad guys? You're like, who's the real bad guys here? The real bad guys here are the Sadducees. You could circle the Sadducees. Now, let me teach you just a minute. Now, let me just do a little bit of Bible teaching, all right? The Sadducees. You got the Sadducees and you got the Pharisees, okay? Now, the Sadducees deals, they were the most powerful political group in Jerusalem. 
And the reason why is because Rome used the Sadducees to keep the Jews under control. Rome was like, we want you guys. We will give you power. We will give you money. We will give you flat screen TVs. We will give you escalates. We will give you nice homes. We will give you everything you want. All we ask of you is that while we're living off in Rome and controlling Palestine, we want you to keep all the Jewish people under control. And so the Sadducees were all about the stuff. Now, listen, their theology was this. There's no afterlife. There's no demons and angels. There's no predestination. There, there's no resurrection. There's no afterlife. And so they had a very materialistic theology that worked into their politics of being in line with Rome. So they had a lot of economic interest, and they became an aristocracy of power in Jerusalem. So that's why it says that they're annoyed. And what are they annoyed about? They're annoyed that Peter's teaching the people that it's not about having stuff in this life. It's about living with God in the, in the kingdom to come. Can I get an amen? You see that? Not about stuff in this life. It's not about every day being a Friday. It's not about every week being great. It's not about believing in Jesus and suddenly all your problems are going to go away. What it's about is it's about hope. And hope is that we're going to live with God in Jesus' name when he comes. Now, religious people hate that. And the Sadducees hated that because they were materialistic, see? They didn't want to lose their stuff. And they knew that if all the Jewish people started believing in Jesus and getting all fired up about it, they would create a revolution or they thought they would create a revolution. And so that's why they're so annoyed. And underneath, see, they look confident, but underneath they're really, they're really insecure. The Sadducees are really insecure. And that's why they are the same people who basically join the Pharisees in killing Jesus for the very same reasons. In fact, we read about the Sadducees coming in line with the Pharisees in John chapter 11, verses 47 and following. Listen to this. It says, so the chief priest, there's your Sadducees, the chief priest. The chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man, that is Jesus, performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And watch this. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Our escalade. Flat screen TV, our pay raises, they're going to take away our Friday. Our perpetual Friday will be taken away by Jesus if we don't kill him because Rome will stop paying us and stop feeding us and everything like that. So their issue is not really theological. <laughs> their issue is political and practical. Now, listen, many people in our world... See, our world profits off of you and I believing that this life is all we have. Our, our world profits off of us believing that material things is the way to happiness, that having the right stuff or having the right things is the way to happiness. And we know that that's not the way to happiness. The way to happiness is to have a relationship with God. But you see, the Sadducees represent the world. And you know what? Sometimes the Sadducees represent me. Did you know that? They're like Pastor Josh. But it's true. Because I grew up in America just like you. And one of the things that takes away our boldness is our love for stuff and things and outward appearance, right? 
But Peter has decided that he's going to be sold out. He's not going to be a Sadducee. He's going to be sold out. And what sold out means is, listen, I have bought into, I have invested my identity. I've invested what shapes me. I've invested in what my life is going to be defined by as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am sold out on this idea and this concept of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But see, that's why the world opposes God. See, everybody comes up with all these fancy reasons for opposing God. It's philosophical or intellectual or, you know, there's all these fancy reasons for not believing in God. But don't you know it's all smoke? Underneath it all, it's I just want my life and I want my stuff and I don't want anybody messing with it. And I don't want a message that tells me that it's not about having a good week. I don't want God to interfere with me. That's what it's really about. And that's why they're opposed But look at verse 4. Despite the opposition, nothing can stop the spreading flame of the message of the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. That conjunction, but, is a really big but. You should circle it. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now let me do some more Bible study with you. Go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 15 really quick. And I want to show you the spreading flame. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was, in all, about 120 persons. Now think about the size of our church. The first service and this service combined is how big the first church was in Acts chapter 1. So that's pretty cool. We're like biblical. Amen? It's pretty sweet. Now, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Jump there real quick. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's good church growth. I mean, that is some good growth. So they go from 120 to another 3,000. Then you have chapter 4 and verse 4 where it says 5,000 men believed. Later on, it does include the women. So ladies, you get included in these things. Right? So 5,000. And then when you go, now jump to Acts chapter 21 real quick. Acts chapter 21 and verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands... There are among the Jews who have believed. So he doesn't even list a number. He's just like many thousands. So we went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to many thousands. And here's Luke's point. Luke's point is not like, man, our church is really big. Holy smokes, like the parking lot is packed. There's no parking left because our church is so big. Aren't we important? That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, listen, the word of God cannot be stopped. 
You can, the world can oppose it all at once. The world can say, we don't believe in God. We're going to conspire together. We don't believe. We're going to persecute. It doesn't matter. In fact, persecution and opposition is used by God to advance the word just as powerfully as preaching and proclaiming the word is. It doesn't matter what happens. The word is an unstoppable force. And you're like, well, what's that got to do with me being bold for God? It means that if you believe in Jesus, you are on the winning team. That's what it means. It means that anybody who believes in this word is, is, is belonging to something that is invincible. It's unstoppable. You can arrest the apostles. You can put them in jail overnight. It doesn't matter. 5,000 people believed. Because the word of God accomplishes all that it, it's meant to. You see, the message of the resurrection is an unstoppable force. That's why, Beloved, that's why you and I are here today, isn't it? Despite all the odds, despite all of the de-Christianization of Western civilization and all of the rest of it, the word of God goes on and it keeps going. So why was Peter bold? Well, he was sold out on the message. He was sold out on it. He believed in it and he wanted others to believe in it and experience it. But we find that after he's been in jail overnight and had time to think about it, we wonder, you know, if I were in jail overnight, would I still? I mean, you know, let me tell you something. I can personally tell you that prison food is not good. Amen. It's not good. And if you have to spend the night in jail and have time to really think about what's going to happen, it's pretty scary. And what Peter has to go to sleep on and what John and Peter have to go to sleep on as they're waiting in jail is they're about to face the same court that condemned and crucified Jesus or had him crucified. Same people. And so we pick it up the next day in verse 5 and we wonder how Peter's going to handle it. Now watch this. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? We know the crippled guy is with them in this court as well. We learn that a little bit later. So here we got the rulers and the elders, it says in verse 5. And then we got the Godfather family in verse 6. Literally, all these guys are related. All right, you got Annas. Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Caiaphas was the high priest during uh, Jesus' uh, um, uh, trial. And he's called a high priest not because he was actually officially the high priest, but he had been the high priest. And once you're a high priest, you're always given that title, kind of like our former presidents. We still call him president, so-and-so, right? And so Caiaphas is kind of the head guy, and he's really the power behind them all, right? But Annas is currently the high priest, And uh, Annas is related to Caiaphas. He's actually the son-in-law. And John and Alexander, I mean, these guys are all one big happy family. And it's the same godfather family that had Pilate crucify Jesus, right? Now, they are the rulers of what's called the Sanhedrin court. And the Sanhedrin court in Jerusalem was composed of 71 men. 71 men, and it's kind of like our Senate. It was composed of Sadducees and Pharisees, which is kind of like having Republicans and Democrats. All right, just imagine that. And that's about how much they liked each other, too. How well do Republicans like Democrats? Don't say anything, Republicans. And how well do Democrats like Republicans? Not at all. 
And the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't like each other, but they were the political power players in this 71 men court, right? And they would would stand in a big circle, like a massive circle of 71 people, right? And that's how they did did their court and did their deliberations. And so the same Sanhedrin that had Jesus crucified now puts Peter and John. Now, do you see that in the text? It literally says that he puts him in the middle of those 71 guys. So they bring him in, boom, set him in the middle of 71 dudes standing around him, same 71 that killed Jesus. And there's Peter and John and probably clothes that are not updated and hip and cool. And then you got the, then you got the Sanhedrin that are decked out in their robes and their stuff. And they got the thing tied and they got a big hat, you know. You know what I'm saying? Y'all tracking with Maybe not the hat. I don't know about the hat. But... But they had all their stuff. They looked so confident. They're so powerful. They're so important. Everybody respects these people, especially the Pharisees. Everybody loved the Pharisees. Crowds loved the Pharisees. Everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. I mean, these are important, powerful people. And right in the middle, they set Peter and John. And no doubt, for the sake of intimidation, they say, who gave you the right? What power? By what name have you done this? And my boy Peter, man, verse 8, watch this. This is a changed man. This is a man who's been saved by grace, who's been changed. He was not always like this. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, and here's the critical phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. I love the respect. Beloved, it doesn't matter. Boldness is not disrespecting people. Can I get an amen? If Peter can respect these guys that killed Jesus, we can respect all human beings. We're all beggars just telling other beggars where to get another cup of cold water. And we can be bold and confident and speak for God, but we should love people and certainly respect people. I'm pretty sure Peter didn't love these guys, but he respected them. And we have to respect people as we speak about God. So he says, rulers and elders of the people... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. I mean, you just like... I almost fell. This is Peter, I'm so proud of you. I, I, I can't believe, I, I'm so proud of Peter, aren't you? I mean, this guy is standing there in the gap, and he's like, hey, I respect you, I love you, but let me tell you the message. The message is this, you killed the guy, and now he's alive because he's God in the flesh, and ain't nobody getting saved, including you. Important, powerful, religious people, people who think you're right with God and you look down on everybody else, you self-right, he doesn't say this, see, he doesn't say all that, he just says there's no other name, there's no other way by which somebody can be saved. And we ask, how 
did this happen? How was Peter bold like this? And the, and the, and, and the answer is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only should you believe in the message of resurrection for your boldness, but listen, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is such a great thing because we ask ourselves, what do I need to do? Like, do I, to be bold for God, do I need to go to the gym and work out and get cut and feel, you know, confident because of my physique? Do I need to run more? Do I need to run a marathon? Uh, uh, do I need more church? I need to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then do like 10 Bible studies before I can be bold for God. Uh, do, I need to, do I need to pray for six hours every night and fast every morning until three in the afternoon on Thursdays? Is that how I become bold for God? How do I work up boldness? And the, and the answer is you don't work up boldness. You let God give you boldness. You let God fill you up. You get filled by the Holy Spirit. That phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit... It can be used to describe an initial receiving of the Holy Spirit. But really, most of the time that it's used in the Bible, it doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit and then you have the Holy Spirit. It means you come under the influence or the control of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is pleroo. It means to be filled from the inside out, like something is in you, right? Like let's imagine you have water on the inside of you, and then it fills you, and it starts to increase in your body. That's the picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit for specific acts, especially to speak the word of God. The Holy Spirit empowers believers to speak the word of God and to be empowered for the task that God... Isn't that encouraging? And we can stop at any moment. We can stop at any moment and go, God, I'm asking you to fill me. You know, a professional woman in, a, in an important meeting is suddenly asked, and oh, why do you go to church? Everybody's dressed up and she's put on the spot. In that moment, she can say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to respond graciously, but not to compromise and to tell people, the reason I go to church is because I believe in Jesus. Or when the video's in your face, do you believe one act? Do you believe that one act of love can redeem a person? And in that moment, say, Holy Spirit, empower me for this. Or you're counseling somebody and you're sitting there and you have an opportunity to share with somebody uh, uh, what your hope is. And in that moment, you can stop and say, Holy Spirit, just give me the right words. Or you want to invite somebody to church, but you're not quite sure how to kind of go about that kind of awkward situation. And and you're there and, and you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to invite somebody to church. You see, as Christians, we don't need to be more important. We don't need to be more religious. We don't need to be more spectacular. We just need to be more surrendered to what God gives to us in each moment. There's opportunities out there. Even like when it comes even to inviting people to church. Listen to this. This is just to emphasize kind of uh, opportunities that are out there that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to really take advantage of. But I got this from Lifeway Ministries, which has great statistics on church and ministry. Listen to this, 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. But only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. 
That's a remarkable contrast. What that means is is that we're not looking for opportunities to be bold. But not only that, but we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit to be encouraged and empowered to be bold like Peter is here. And we've all been the old Peter. We've all denied Jesus. I've denied Jesus and missed opportunities because I was too tired or didn't want to or whatever. I mean, none of us are perfect in this. But if we would be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. He's with you all the time. But the question is, does he have you moment to moment? Are you really being led by God in your life? The Apostle Paul said significantly to the church, he said in Ephesians chapter 5, he said this, he said in Acts chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The contrast with the metaphor and the language of the Greek word play roo clearly makes it what Peter is commanding the church is to be influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are you a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit for the task that God has given to you? Peter, that night in jail, as he had time to think about it and pray about it, he decided he was going to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. He made a decision. I'm going to let God empower me to say what needs to get said, no matter what the consequences are, no matter what they do to me. They can be Godfather all they want. They can be the dawn. They can, you know, scruff their, you know, hey, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. I mean, they can do all that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to speak for God with what God has equipped me to speak with. Number one, Peter was sold out on the message. Number two, Peter was filled by the Holy Spirit. And then finally today, I meant to get through a lot more of the chapter in both the first service and this service, but um, just preaching long, man. But finally, how can I be bold? Not only be sold out on the message of resurrection and be filled by the Spirit, but number three, to be invitational. With the exclusive message of Jesus. Or maybe I should say single-minded. About the message. Verse 12. There is, it's a remarkable statement. It's a very relevant verse for our times. I hope as believers you believe verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. By which we must be saved. I don't have enough time, but there's other scriptures that would go along well with that, right? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to the Father except by me. He didn't say, I am a way. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There's only one mediator between God and men, that is the man Christ Jesus. And here Peter is saying, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men. I was reading a book. I commend it to you, actually. It's called The Triumph of Christianity. Isn't that a great book title? 
Uh, it's written by Rodney Stark, and it's on the early church and the rise of Christianity and the spread of Christianity. One of the things he said was is that when Jesus was born in Palestine at that time of Jesus' day was very pluralistic. There's lots of different religions all in that one little itty-bitty area. And even within the Jews, there was a lot of pluralism. There was the Sadducees, and they had their view and their theology of God. There was the Pharisees. There was the Essenes. There was the Zealots. The Zealots were kind of the cool, like, let's get the guns and the ammo and the politics and take this thing over. You know, those guys, in the name of God. And then you had... um, uh, and then you had, oh yeah, you had the Samaritans in Samaria, and they had their own mountain and their own temple and their own way of worship. So it was a very pluralistic society. And there's lots of different ways to God. And you know what? Peter's not buying any of it. Peter's not buying any of it. Peter is saying, there's not a plan for salvation or different plans for salvation. There is only one one way to God, and that is the person of Jesus. There is only one way to be reconciled to God, have a relationship with God, and that is by the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved. And that is relevant for you and I. We live in a postmodern, pluralistic, hyper hyper-philosophically tolerant society that says there's all kinds of different ways to God, and as long as you know, as long as you know, you're sincere, you're, you're real. And, and the message of Peter to the Sanhedrin, the message of Peter to, to the world, and the message of the church is you got to believe in the name of Jesus. doesn't matter who you are. He is single-minded on that. And you know, people, if we're compassionate for people, then we have to share that. You can't be compassionate for people and say, well, here's something to help you along, but I won't tell you about Jesus. Dude, that's not compassion if that's what we believe. It's by the name of Jesus. There's no other way. I got to stop there. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the promise that your word, your word, the message of the resurrection is really unstoppable. And I'm glad about that, not just because it means that we win, but it means that people are going to be blessed by you in this world. People are going to be loved by you completely. That you're working in people's lives to restore them to the blessing of perfection, the way life was meant to be. I thank you for that message of resurrection. And God, I thank you because you don't leave us on our own. It's not like you leave us to perform for you and then if we, if we pass the test and we get in or or we're considered good by you. But, but, Lord, you give us resources. You give us your very spirit to be influenced and led by. And we thank you for that, that promised spirit. May we be a people who are filled by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. That we come under the influence and under the control and leadership of the Holy Spirit. That we are equipped for each task that you give to us. And God, we thank you that you've revealed one clear way to be reconciled to you, and that's through the person of Jesus. We thank you it's not a, a precept or a plan or a formula or a, or a 20-step process to get right with you, but that it's a relationship with the name, the person of Jesus. We thank you for that relational message of love, but we know it's exclusive. We know people have to believe but we're grateful that it's inclusive. Everyone is invited to believe. 
God, make us a bold people. A people who are bold with respect and confidence, with humility and with boldness. Help us to speak your word. If you're not a believer today, I just want to encourage you. Don't you want to believe in Jesus? I mean, here, here is someone who by his death and resurrection promises you new life, promises you a new world. Jesus is a world changer. He changes everything. And if you'll believe in him, you will be saved. If you're a believer, we're going to take a meal together, communion, and remember that Jesus died for us. And everyone is welcome. If you're a believer, you're welcome to eat this meal. If you're not a believer and you're not ready to make that decision to believe in the name of Jesus, then I encourage you to stay where you're at and just observe the communion of believers and really take Christ into your heart as we take the bread and as we take the drink.